Tune in and cry it out with me, DJ Susie.
from the Winslow T. Broadcast booth in chilly Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm John Reed. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. And this is Race to the Bottom, baby. Yes. Yes. Welcome to the program, one and all. Good to be here with you. Although, I'm just going to peel back the curtain <laughs> and let you know that I'm playing hurt today. I'm like, uh, but maybe maybe it'll be like Michael Jordan when he had the flu in the game against the Utah Jazz. And, and then he scored... 137 points, I believe it was. I'm going to try to score at least 120 today. Not like the Knicks last night. Ooh. That was... That was bad. And much like... Michael Jordan with the the Utah Jazz flu story. If you watched the last dance, you know that there's conflicting accounts. It might have been some some of that classic Utah style pizza. That's what the George, Michael Jordan said he got he got <laughs> he got poisoned. Maybe just unintentionally, just because it's Utah pizza. That would make about as much sense as the Utah Jazz if they changed their name to the Utah Pizza. And it, it's more basketball related because everybody knows that story now. Playing center for the Utah Pizza. Joel Embiid. What if he got traded? Yeah, so... My... In this an analogy, maybe the the pizza... It might have been the, the, the Chinese food that I had on Thanksgiving. I built up this Thanksgiving. Pride, pride cometh before a fall, right? I built, built this Thanksgiving up more than I'd ever built up a Thanksgiving before. Last year, it's just the wife and I at, at uh, in quarantine. This year, it was going to be back to back to normal, back to friends and family and, and food and celebration. I couldn't wait. I put all my eggs in that basket. But uh, might have been a little bit of. Guns, germs, and steel. <laughs> the germs part. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe the the gods were angry with me for, uh, you know, because we all know. I mean, I I know that Thanksgiving, uh, you know, the origins are, are uh, dubious at best. You know, I, I'm, I know that it's. Not necessarily that 
the the greatest origins of a holiday? Not not well n- no, not n- I'm not even it's a horrible <laughs> holiday as far as its origins, but as far as, you know, where what it mean what it can mean It's just, uh, you know, my favorite things in the world. Friends, family, food, fun. The four Fs. But, um, there was a bug. Let's just say that. There's a bug in the system. And it got passed. And it got passed to yours truly. And, um... <laughs> Without getting into too much detail, I'm I'm uh, I'm playing hurt. I'm on the mend, but Mon- Montezuma got got his revenge on me, which is fine. And we'll talk more about Montezuma's revenge with my guest in a little bit. We got my college professor, who I had uh, multiple classes with couple decades ago Ben Feinberg will be on the show looking forward to that we're going to be talking about uh, Mexico and about teaching and about uh, we'll we'll talk about life too might as well but I'm I'm, I've got gratitude for all the things that are, are going right and uh, just just to be be here with you all today. Didn't have a mashup today because of the aforementioned issues. But I I, I did want you all to hear uh, tomorrow. Bye. And maybe this maybe this was a comment here, uh, Macca. I don't like when they call him Mecca, Paul McCartney. A lot of British people call him Mecca. Oh, Mecca. You like Mecca? This is still a jam. Svanborg Cardi with Post. Yeah, but off of uh, the Wings album, I, I worked with this guy, Bob Black, at Pizza Cabin, and he'd say, John, you ever listen to Wings? John, what do you think of Wings? I'm, and I'll tell you why I'm asking. Because I've been listening a lot to Wings recently. I think they're great. And I always thought Bob Black was was an idiot for that. But I think it was during the pandemic where I was just like, all right, I've heard all the Beatles. I'm sure there's some decent wing song. Let me just let me just go through it. And I went through them all. I made a little playlist of the of the wings tunes that didn't bother me. And then Lo and behold, I, I actually started really liking some of them. And that song tomorrow, maybe it's a it's a play off yesterday. 
He, he wrote yesterday and this one was tomorrow. But what about today, Paul? Off wildlife. And I was one of those kids that I was a I was a John Lennon kid. I thought Paul was a, a dweeb. But then as as time passed, I don't know. People change. What do you think of this? You know how you can let me know? Got a new feature. And and right now this is in um beta stage, I guess they would call it for all us beta males um (laughs) um we've got the race to the bottom uh chat and soon it will be up uh where you can access it from our new website at radiofreebrooklyn.org but right now it's uh i have to invite people and a lot of you all i've you, you got an email from me Listeners that I'm I'm aware of, but I, I I guess I couldn't get to everybody. I should post it on the Facebook because I know some people are uh, just are my Facebook friends. But you can pop in there. You can just uh, give them your give them your handle, and uh, we already got uh, people. We got my friend Julian and and Jay Clarkson and and Dr. Lisa are already up there on the chat. You can uh, chime in during the show because I know not everybody likes to call in, and people can give their thoughts on uh, if they're who's your who's your favorite Beatle, and you can give me your um, Apple uh, your Disney Plus password because I want to watch this Get Back thing so bad, and they they got us right where they want us with all these different streaming services. Cost more than cable did, right? So I just posted the race to the bottom chat on Facebook. Also, if you're trying to find it, how to how to steep into the conversation. And this opening monologue is brought to you by Winslow Tea. I'm drinking it now, lukewarm. Hmm. Hopefully that doesn't dehydrate me. Thank you, as always, to Winslow for sponsoring this open, opening monologue. And you can steep into the conversation by hashtagging your uh, social media with how you know. And uh, hop on the chat. So we'll be hearing from Ben Feinberg in, in a moment. And boy, do we have a, a rest of the year. We got it all mapped out. Next week, my buddy... And uh, musical phenomenon, extraordinary, guitarist extraordinaire, Shane Parrish will be on the show. 
and I believe that uh, I think Shane and I are going to play a, a round of musical chess like I did with Jonathan Scales. And we're also going to talk about Joni Mitchell. Excited for that one. And we got Mike Vago back on the show. I don't know what we're going to do. We we got all the... Vago and, and Bun and I did a, the list of topics. Maybe we'll do one of those. Um, then we've got the top ten. I might try to get Tom DeMena to, to uh, help me count down the top ten moments of the year on Race to the Bottom. And then, uh, and then we got our Christmas Day episode. How's that? How's that sound? Chris McGregor's Brotherhood of Breath. So good. Man, I listened to the uh, new Adele record. What did, what did you guys think? Hit me up in the chat. <laughs> I It was okay. I was not, I wanted to like it more than I did. And it made me think about, it, it was a lot kind of like uh, Back to Black. Or at, at its best, it was like Amy Winehouse's Back to Black. Or kind of like... Uh, Sade's uh, Lover's Rock, both perfect albums. This was not a perfect album. But something that Adele did a lot in the uh, in this record, 30, because I guess she's 30 years old. She names her albums after how old she is. It's a, her convention. Oh, my God. And I think they fixed the phones, too. We got a, We got a phone call here. Race to the bottom. Hello? Hello? Yes, hi. Hi, John. Good to hear from you. I'm sorry you're feeling under the weather. Oh, yeah, no no problem. Uh, who's this? This is Ben Feinberg. Oh, my God. I, I haven't spoken to you in so long, I, I couldn't, uh, couldn't recognize your voice. How's it going? It's going really well. Um, you know, I hope that you, was it from the turkey? Where did you have undercooked turkey or something? <laughs> um, I think it it was from a stomach bug from um, a, a a baby, and that was uh, there. With, uh, oh, a, okay. An infant member of our, a new infant member of our family got. I think it was a daycare. Uh, you know, when these kids are in daycare, it's just like. Uh, it's just like yeah. chemical warfare sometimes. No, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm 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 sorry you got that. I, I'm glad it's not you know Omicron or whatever. <laughs> well, 
Well, we didn't even actually – we, we called Thanksgiving off. Uh, so oh. well, I think we're going to reconvene maybe next weekend. So I still got that to look forward to. Okay. How are how, what are your uh, thoughts? I mean, obviously, uh, you might have heard that I was talking about my conflicting feelings about Thanksgiving. How do you kind of parse that uh, in your well, life? Well, you know, I mean, I think you've, you've had it right, right? Like there, there's a problem with the sort of myth and the origin myth, but we shouldn't be slaves to a kind of originalist ideology where we assume the meaning of any kind of ritual or thing that we do is sort of innately set by the circumstances of its creation, right? Mm -hmm. Or else we'd be stuck in all kinds of dilemmas. So I think just a kind of recognition and conscious kind of movement away from that myth while allowing ourselves to enjoy you know, the uniqueness of the holiday, right? Which other holidays don't have. It's not about buying a bunch of stupid mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. It's about this kind of dialectic between continuity and creativity <laughs> with food and mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So I guess that's how I just sort of sidestep that dilemma. Okay. That, 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 makes, that makes me feel better. Be- uh, uh-huh. Because, yeah, I, I, I guess... I mean, I guess I gotta keep, you gotta keep the the cognitive dissonance there. If you, if you lose it, you know, then then you might be getting in, into trouble. But yeah, that that acknowledgement and then that kind of spirit of redefinition working together. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm really excited to have you on the show, Ben. Um, it's it's been it's been a while, but. Uh, you were, uh, you know, one of my favorite professors and, and had a lot to do with, you know, who I ended up uh, becoming as a, as a person, <laughs> uh, you know, in my adult life. Uh, I took an intro and, and a few other uh, um, na- native peoples of, of Mexico class and, and uh, I think one other uh, from, from you. And, and, and then I got, I did a lot of traveling in Mexico, I think you you said you heard the um, uh, the O Mexico thing that I did with Matt Pagachnik a, a few weeks ago, where we kind of talked about our our Mexican travels and stuff, and that I that was just part of of my story what what I told him. But uh, and then I know you you lived extensively in Mexico, so I thought it would be fun to to reach out and kind of. Um, hear about your relationship and and also i'm i'm interested in and if if you've been able to continue to make it down there because i sadly have not yeah no i mean i i've been going down to the same region of mexico pretty much every year since um the early 90s although the first time i was there in that region was in actually the 1980s it's an because of, of COVID, I haven't in, been able to go since last January, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be going down for just a few days next month. So, yeah, I did listen to you guys' stories, and it was so familiar uh, to me, the kind of excitement that both of you experienced. And it really makes me think how amazing it is that it's so unusual for people to have any knowledge about Mexico at all, mm-hmm. given that it is 
the country with which our country shares this enormous border, shares a history, shares a language, uh, or, a, or a substantial minority language. You know, a quarter of our territory was once Mexican. And yet, you know, my kids, they go to school every year, and every year they, like, learn about ancient Greece, and <laughs> they have Egyptian dioramas, and these mm-hmm. countries that have nothing to do with us. Mm-hmm. And yet there's this almost intentional ignorance about this country with which we're so incredibly interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it shouldn't really be a shock for people like us to discover that this other country exists. And yet, you know, it is because of the, the crazy nature of... of yeah, our education, our media, and so on. Why? Why do you think that uh, that might be that we have this kind of mentality that it's it's almost that it's it couldn't be further away, even though it's it's so close. Yeah, and you know, an example of that. I think about ten years ago, I looked up uh, uh, online a site that counts um, how much the news hole of cable news in that year was devoted to different subjects. Mm -hmm. And this was 2011, a year which you had all kinds of stuff going on in Mexico. You had the intensification of violence. You had the run-up to a very contested election. Um, And Mexico got the same amount of coverage as the Kaylee Anthony murder case or Casey Mm -hmm. Anthony murder case Mm -hmm. in Florida. And almost all of that was from Fox, and it was scare, you know, something bad from Mexico might happen here. So it's not a place that's set up for us for us to be engaged in any kind of dialogic way. It's just a place that's kind of outside of history as this dangerous force that reminds us to maintain our borders. And this, you know, in terms of why, why is there this kind of pathetic attempt to continually teach children that, you know, they're connected more to ancient Greece and this imaginary Western civilization than they are to our much more, you know, real connection, which Mm -hmm. we pretend isn't there. It reminds me of um, when when Trump came on the scene and, and 20, you know, as a presidential candidate, uh, in 2015 and the, the, you know, came down the escalator and, and said what he did about, and, and really kind of focused things, uh, in a large part around Mexico. I, 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 and I think most people were wondering what, what in the hell is he doing? Why, you know, Mexico just seems so out of the conversation and, and granted his focus was around the wall, but it, mm-hmm. it you know, it, um, immigration was, was that, was at like pretty, as far as I understand, was at pretty low, uh, you know, historical levels. Uh, and I think it, but it, it was a kind of Machiavellian, uh, shot in the dark that that really worked, and I guess that goes to show how how strong that yeah. that uh, that trope is, and yeah, and, and kind of defining who we are by by the other, um, you know, that contrast, right? And you know, I mean, it wasn't just Trump. Rick Perry, four years before, had emphasized in his pathetic and failed campaign that you know there were 
connecting Mexican immigrants with Middle Eastern terrorists, mm-hmm. saying that there were like Hezbollah people sneaking across in them. But this whole discourse is only about Central America or Mexico affecting us, the yeah. incredible sort of willful ignorance in all participants in the political discussion about how American policies and practices have affected you know, Mexicans, and particularly Central Americans, right? You know, mm-hmm. Honduras has had this narco-dictatorship for a number of years that was, you know, legitimized by Hillary Clinton when she was Obama's Secretary of State and mm-hmm. has led to, you know, this increased demand for migration out of, out of Honduras. I, you're right, though, of course, Mexico right now, there isn't really much immigration from Mexico. Yeah. You'd think it would be and uh, uh, not such a deal, especially when there's such a demand for labor in the United States yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so what what was what's the origin of of your um, relationship with Mexico? When when did it first start? Um, um, I I think I mentioned that for for me it was like reading uh, Jack Kerouac and the Beatniks and hearing about their travels in Mexico is the first time where I considered that it was uh, yeah. something that I wanted to do. Where, where was it, where did it, where was the seed planted for you? Well, you know, I mean, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, which oh, is yeah. only 90 miles from the Mexican border, but that doesn't really explain it. You know, um, my high school was about one-third, uh, what at the time people called themselves Chicano, but the white kids, for the most part, took like French or German language. You know, they consciously sort of separated themselves from any recognition of, of the validity of Spanish. Um, but I took Spanish. I took it for three years. I, I got A's and I didn't learn anything. <laughs> um, but then when I was 17 and I graduated high school, I really can credit my mother. She said, you're, you're not going to spend all summer just working at McDonald's and hanging around. And, and she said, here's this in, immersive Spanish program through the University of Arizona in Guadalajara. So I spent five or six weeks in Guadalajara. Uh, I was much younger than most of the other students. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stayed in a house with three other American students and a divorced middle-class Mexican woman and her three teen daughters. Uh, I was given the room of one of the daughters, and every inch of this bedroom was covered with pictures of Menudo, which <laughs> is an early Puerto mm-hmm. Rican boy band. Um, yeah. But it was really there. I mean, I hung out with these other kids who were mostly interested in drinking beer and tequila and going to the beach. And on the last weekend, they, none of them invited me because, you know, I, I wasn't quite cool enough. And I went to a smaller place just with another nerd kid. And it was really there that I realized there was this, you know, whole different world away from, you know, away from what I've been accustomed to yeah. that, that, that really spoke to me. And, and then I really was dedicated, you know, as you Talk about when you have that first experience, it makes learning the language so much easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, the book that excited me, and yeah, I was interested, you know, part of my myth of Mexico when I first started going there was definitely influenced by the William Burroughs kind of mm-hmm. ludic transgression. But there was a book called The People's Guide to Mexico. Did you ever? Mm, I, use yeah. That or I, I, I vaguely remember that, yeah. And so this was like guidebook that came out with many editions starting in the 70s that really 
it had no places in it. You know, unlike travel guidebooks like Lonely Planet mm-hmm. that are like guides to places where you will find other people with the same guidebook, <laughs> this was a guidebook that was just, you know, here's places you can camp in a dump because they don't throw out as much organic material so it doesn't smell. And it really encouraged you to, you know, create your own adventures in mm-hmm. various ways. And it, it, it opened up this whole world and, and traveling then after I graduated from college, particularly this in this very low budget way where I'd look at a map and I'd, I'd find some place on the end of the road and take a bus there. And then, you know, something would happen. Someone would invite me to their house. You'd figure out how to hike to the next road, to the next village that wasn't on the road. And, and so, you know, that, 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 that freedom really excited me. And of course, at this point, you know, I'd been a history major. I'd taken a lot of Latin American history. Sitting in people's living rooms when they're inviting you in, uh, I, I, living room is a weird room for a you know <laughs> one room house or whatever. Um, realized that there was this whole world uh, that what back past the paved roads that wasn't really covered in the dominant versions of history that I might have learned, mm-hmm. and of course that there was this incredible sophistication and complexity and interest in, in the lives of these places. And, I, and that's when I realized I, I could go back to grad school and get a grant someday in history to go to an archive, or I could go back to grad school in this new field, for me, of anthropology, and get a grant someday to sort of, you know, hike and explore and, and sit in people's um, houses and drink coffee mm-hmm. and aguardiente, and, and, and that was just what appealed to me. So two things. One, th- uh, I, you might have heard that we just launched the chat um, today, Ben, and somebody's, oh, wow. somebody's coming after me in the chat saying, I don't believe John was familiar with the guidebook to Mexico. He lied on air. Um, I'm coming after oh. him. I, I'm going to just come clean. I, I was not – He this, this uh, person in the chat, uh, Touchdown, I, I'm not sure who that is um, – Touchdown! You're you're right, and I'm going to come clean to you, Ben. And this is, so I guess a um, you know an unforeseen uh, you know benefit of the chat is is full transparency. And I want to apologize oh. to you, Ben. I was not familiar with the uh, guidebook to People's Guidebook to Mexico. Is that what it's called? The People's Guide to Mexico. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry about that. It's it's really it's really all right. I mean, I. I <laughs> I don't know what to say. I think it's probably okay that you didn't know about that guidebook. Although, yeah. you know, you might have gotten some benefit from it. Yeah. Well, I could have just, I don't think it's the the problem is that I didn't know about it. It's that I, when you said, were you familiar with that? I just should have said no. Okay. You know, but okay. So this, uh, now that we have that cleared up, the second thing I, I wanted to ask you, um, 
is this is kind of a you led me to a, a, a question that I was hoping to get into. So I did a very similar uh, travel in Mexico that you're talking about. Um, I didn't, and maybe this gets to the why I didn't have I didn't have the Lonely Planet. I specifically did not have any guidebooks. Um, uh-huh. Drew, uh, our you know Drew uh, Maycuth and and I and Jake Frankel, we we um, specifically uh, you know eschewed um any sort of guidebooks when when we would travel um and we would do a similar thing to you we would look at the map um you know pre-cell phone we had we had our different we we would just buy a map wherever we were and we would just kind of yeah take the bus find the uh a city name or a town name that seemed interesting um talk to people on the bus, get invited to places and really travel without an agenda. Um, and yeah, you know, Drew Maycroft went on my study abroad down there, mm-hmm. even though he didn't pay for it mm-hmm. or go for it. Mm-hmm. And he was just a really disreputable and disruptive <laughs> influence on the other. Mm-hmm. But I can see how he would have been good to travel. With. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. But, uh, dubious character for sure so i wanted to know whether you you know so we have these myths of of danger of mexico and when i told people that i was traveling in that way and this was in the early 2000s um you know people like mm-hmm. my parents and and other teachers and and adults would would fear for my safety you know but i i felt like you know a mixture maybe it was the hubris of of youth or maybe uh it was just uh feeling kind of a um a street smarts or or something where i i did not feel um endangered really at at any point during my travels and um you know i just stayed alert and trusted my instincts with people and um i Wanted to know whether you think that that would, you know, still be doable with with all the, um, you know, narco violence and 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 things going on in Mexico at this point. If I had a kid, or if your if your kid was doing what we were doing, would you feel okay with the current uh, environment in Mexico with them traveling in that way? Yeah, I mean that's a great question, and you know, it is hard to parse out that feeling of safety that a traveler has from that kind of hubris and invulnerability. All kinds of places in my own life where things could have gone in a slightly different direction, most notably like a bus accident or something. Uh, And as a young person, people you encounter really feel drawn to take care of you, you know, like a kid. Um, and, And that's beneficial. Of course, you know, that 1983, when I was on that Spanish class in Guadalajara, you know, I, that was the heyday of the Guadalajara cartel, right? Um, that mm-hmm. was, you know, but, but, and, but I was pretty much entirely oblivious to that. I think one, you know, just in the area that I go to, the emergence of cartels as a major dominant player is just something that's happened over the last couple of years, and it's had some really, you know, terrifying and kind of shocking consequences, and I know that that area is not as, as, as difficult as others. I think for the most part, um, 
in most parts of the country if you were a foreigner and were traveling by bus and mostly sort of traveling by day. I don't think you would have to worry about it that much. Mm-hmm. But I think um, a, a, a few more precautions and staying out of certain kinds of circumstances, particularly in some parts of the country, um, would probably be justified for, you know, your child, um, mm-hmm. for example, who is I believe, probably far too young to travel by themselves anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's all, and then there's also kind of like, I guess going back to our, um, our Thanksgiving, trying to parse Thanksgiving, I wonder what you thought about, I, you know, there was this kind of, um, there's this aspect where it could be seen like my, my traveling, uh, as kind of this kind of benign conquistador kind of thing where we're, uh, you know, we're we're planting our flag all all over this this land, and and I guess you know uh, we're trying to stay open to cultures and stuff. But there is this kind of weird power differential where, or kind of where, uh, you know, I was kind of slumming it in a way. You know, what do you think about that? Do you think that there's oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know, and to me, you know. Again, what was liberating for me was because I had the privilege for that to be liberating. You know, my first really intense experience of sort of what you would call slumming would be taking the second-class train in 1986 from Mexico City to the border, where there were about eight times as many people as there were seats. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't going to be living like that when I got back across the border. I think... You know, if you go back in time, you were talking about conquistadors. You know, what were Cortez and Columbus? They were tourist travelers who raised money to go and wanted to make money out of the myths they sent back home. Really, Columbus and Cortez were Instagram influencers, right? <laughs> um, they they went to places. They surround. They they wrote letters back, designed to sort of demonstrate their uh, risk-taking, bravado, adventurous spirit, um, you know, so that more people would follow them and they'd get more gold and, and mm-hmm. get more um, reinforcements. And so, you know, I think a certain kind of travel that's oriented so much more back to how is it that we are representing ourselves to our peers back at home really does um, reproduce that kind of conquistador narrative. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, you know, again, as in, as with Thanksgiving, that shouldn't be used as an excuse to not engage in the dialogue, you know, with people yeah. from other places mm-hmm. and other life situations. Um, just, you know, trying to sort of focus on those and, and recognize recognize the privilege that goes along with that. Uh, so, do you think that um, there are still? Do you know of of kids that are at our our college now who are doing the same thing that that I was doing back then? Do you still have have students that are are you know doing that kind of traveling? I mean, I think there there are students who are who travel internationally or want to go do programs. I. I think it is sad that there is less interest. I mean, when you were a, a student at Warren Wilson, there was still this kind of 
peak, that if you were a generally kind of maybe left-oriented person, you were probably really interested in Latin America. Mm -hmm. And I think that's faded a lot. I think people are also sort of told to be more afraid to go to other places. Uh, They grow up thinking that you don't actually have to go places (laughs) because the Internet can Mm -hmm. kind of replace that. Um, And so I think kind of sadly... The country and and young people too have become a little bit more inward. Mm. That's not true of everyone, you know. I have a college age kid who's going to be spending next semester in Argentina. I ask him what he's listening to on his headphones. I have no idea, and he's like, <laughs> "Oh, Chilean hip hop." So I think there are pockets of people who are still really into Latin America as a kind of source of transcendence or other experience. But mm. not the kind of the travel the kind of traveling that you and I did and, and, and so on, I I don't see so much of that. Hmm. Yeah. I, that's that's interesting. And and maybe and maybe the um would you also just say the the kind of um the vibe of the school has changed or do you think that that's kind of maybe across the board? I think that's probably across the board everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think there's kind of less interest in that kind of, I think people are a little more, they're a little more afraid of, of getting out of their kind of comfort mm-hmm. zones. Um, and, and, and obviously COVID, COVID is really, COVID has really intensified oh, yeah. that as well. And we, you know, that's only going to play out over the next, you know, just, oh, I, absolutely. and, and not, just with you know the the actual effects of COVID, but just in our you know talking about a, the internet has internalized our our um, experience of the world. I think that this this pandemic will do that. As uh, you know, people who have lived the you know at whatever stage of of development or education that they had these two you know two or however many years that we're going to be in this situation. You know, it's it's yeah. going to be a real sea change for people, um, and they're and it is so harder to make that break. I mean, the internet existed when you were in college and were traveling. Um, when I was young and traveling, it didn't. You know, my connections back home were largely through letters that I would send. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, having that electronic umbilical cord that no matter where you are, you can immediately connect back to your home world and your and your family makes it much harder to have that kind of full break where mm-hmm. people are, are fully engaged in, in that alternative. Yeah. And just, process. just that idea of, you know, of losing the guidebooks and everything, uh, you know, I mean, when you, when you can't find your phone now, uh, it's a, it's a crisis, you know, when you, it's like, so just having that, um, yeah, we're we're just so much more tethered to. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's it's strange. Um, yeah, I did lose my phone in Mexico a few years ago. I was in the car. I was like you. I was had this incredible intestinal malady that it kept me up all night and probably drained me about twenty five pounds. Mm-hmm. And then went in the taxi to the um, to the bus station, you know, to go south. The seat was really small. My feet were up. The phone fell out of my pocket into mm-hmm. the taxi. I didn't mm-hmm. notice it till later. 
amazingly enough, like I was able to get it back when I came back oh, to wow. the city two weeks later um, because it was more like a kind of Uber service and the person we knew in Mexico City called the guy and he brought it to her house. But after a first day of absolute panic, I, I did really kind of get to a point where I enjoyed you know, that, that, that freedom of not yeah. having it there. So uh, in, in the decade... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. In in the so it's it's been about uh it's been about two decades since since you were my uh teacher. How would you say and now and I, now I'm a teacher as well. I wanted to uh-huh. to check in with you on on you know what how you feel you've changed as as uh an inst- uh, teacher as a professor and how education has has maybe changed during that time for you. Yeah, I mean, that's a big, big, big thing. I recognized, you know, I was pretty young when I started as a professor. I was 31 years old. Um, and I, students were incredibly generous to me. I mean, it's amazing to think back those first couple years, you're desperately preparing your classes at the last minute because it's the first time you've taught everything. And back then, you didn't have PowerPoint or projectors. I mean, do you remember how we watched videos yeah. in the classes you were in, mm-hmm. like You'd... wheeling in a TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so everything seems, in retrospect, so much more kind of amateurish. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, it seemed to work. And I, I was smart enough and self-aware enough, I think, to recognize in my second year when I got these incredibly strong course evaluations that a lot of that had nothing to do with how good a teacher it was. It was in part because of the connection that I was young and I realized, you know, that I was like one of these like Nadia Comaneci or something, that no matter how much more skilled I got as the years went on, my popularity was had peaked, right? <laughs> um, uh-huh. And I had to just kind of deal with that. Um, you know, so obviously the mechanics of teaching have changed a lot with the different kinds of things we do. I think I'm more skilled. I, I think in terms of the big picture, I mean, academic neoliberal capitalism is a real thing. And, you know, if anything, you know, some people have said, looked at COVID as academic disaster capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, you know, it's used as an opportunity to, to implement many of these changes that ultimately increase the gap between administration and teachers and involve all kinds of other transformations, yeah. which, you know, I think are not necessarily the greatest thing. Yeah, I definitely see that and, and uh, at my school, um, that, that gap between administration and, 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 and people, uh, people in administration who have no, um, no real history te- with teaching or you know, right. have, have no expertise, have, have spent very little time in the classroom, but somehow feel uh, right. Like and experts. I mean, you know, goal is to impress their bosses, and they can only do that by making some sort of change. And if the reality of education is it, what really matters is the quality of teachers. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't. There's no way that administrators can create that as a check, so they have to pretend that what makes education better are the kind of things that are associated with them, like yeah. new programs or 
creating new job titles, you know, the kind of proliferation of, of what David Graeber called, you know, bullshit jobs. Yeah. Right? And, um, and more, that, more that surveys. Don't really have any what, what's that? And more surveys, more, uh, and more surveys and <laughs> assessment. Yes. And, and, and things like that. Yeah. Well, Ben, I'm, I gotta wrap it up and get ready for Crime Talk BK next on Radio Free Brooklyn. It, this has it's been great. I'd love to have you back sometime. Yeah, I would love that. It's great to hear from you again after so long, and uh, I really enjoyed being here. Take yeah. Care. All right. Take care. Thanks, Ben. Bye. Bye. Wow. How about that, Ben Feinberg in the house? If you're listening to this on your phone, you oh no, other way around. If you're listening to this on your computer. You can download the app for your Android or iPhone. It's free. It works super well. Uh, go and if you're listening to it on your phone, I guess go and check out the new 2.0 RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Uh, our designers and and this is all volunteer guys. This is community based volunteer uh, powered. Um, and they've spent a lot of time making a, a great new version of the website, RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. There's a green donate button where you can uh, show your support. Um, and also, pretty soon, the chat is going to be uh, – the, there'll be a place where you can access the chat, I think, on the site. But for now, I would uh, – already, already uh, the chat is already bearing fruit, getting called out, um, and uh, <laughs> owning up. Uh, to that, thanks, thanks, touchdown for for keeping me uh, keeping me honest there. Um, like Anderson Cooper, right? Didn't he have a thing keeping him honest? Um, I think he did. Up next is Crime Talk BK. What else do we have to say? Um, yeah, the news. Oh, um, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up on the website, um, click the newsletter tab. We only hit you up once a month. It's the news you can use. And, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to somebody giving me their, their Apple plus. No, not Apple plus. I, I can't even keep track of which one I'm talking about. Disney plus. I want to watch this get back thing. I think Tom DeMena is supposed to watch it for us, but I want to watch it too and talk to Tom about it. Uh, up next, as I said, is Crime Talk BK. And next week, I think we'll be doing some musical chess. Shane Parrish. Um, how did I do as far as playing Hurt? I think I put put up some... We also want Apple TV, my research team says. Um, true. Yeah. So hit me up with all the, all the things. Got to have them all. They should make some the package, right? I'd say I put up at least 100 points. And uh, thanks to the Utah pizza <laughs> and... Uh, so is this show called the Utah Pizza, or is it called? Um, I was pretty fond of my um, framing of benign conquistadors. That's that's what we need to figure out what the title of this show is going to be. 
I guess there's only one way to find out. And I'm on the road to find out. Let's wrap it up with Silence by PJ Harvey off of the album White Chalk. I'll talk to y'all next week. Peace. All those places where I recall the memories that grip me and pin me down. Anyway